Thank you very much. Um, we are due to be joined any moment uh, by Yehuda and Malcolm Nance. I see Malcolm down there in the, there in the listeners, um, who are going to be giving us an update uh, from the Holy Land, uh, the situation in Israel and Gaza. Malcolm, you sorry, there? sorry, my mic was uh, was stuck there because I was tweeting, and uh, I was tweeting in response to the the British journalist Owen Jones. Who, if, if those of you who don't know who he is, he's a young, sparky uh, little gentleman who is rapidly, I mean, rapidly against Israel uh, and the war to the point where he apparently has lost his ability to read and understand the English language, which is going to be problematic for a journalist. But um, if if those of you who haven't noticed there, if you were to go look at some other forums like um, uh, Mario Nawafal, who has almost 6,000 listeners, and if you were to look out on X or Twitter, you would get the impression that there has been a ruling against Israel and, that determined they committed genocide. Well, I'm speaking to you all from Tel Aviv. I've been here for uh, a few weeks now. I'm going to be here for a few weeks more uh, um, working in the South and, and carrying out a counterterrorism investigation of 10-7 and an evaluation of Israeli army operations in Gaza. Um, and what the, the big item on the plate was the International Court of Justice uh, supposedly accepting South Africa's claim that Israel committed genocide. And that's not exactly how it all went. What happened was South Africa made a claim that the Israeli army was conducting a genocide, right? On the basis that, one, they were engaged in war in which people were being harmed, which for those of you who've ever served in the armed forces understand that definition is the definition of the word war. Two, that, that, that statements were made giving genocidal intent, and they used statements from Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, Yoav Gallant, the Minister of Defense, and others, who did make some pretty harsh statements uh, that at the, at the time, which were immediately after the 10-7 massacre. And three, that on the basis of South Africa, Hamas's claims, UNRWA's numbers, that the Palestinian people were being genocided, specifically targeted to for elimination. Now, I actually know a little bit about this operationally because I've spoken twice uh, at the Auschwitz Foundation in Oswegium, Poland, on the site of Auschwitz I and Birkenau. At a conference, uh, you might, the latest was a conference about the definition of modern genocide and where modern genocides are occurring. But if you were to read the, the, the Genocide Convention, you could pretty much call any war genocide. All you have to do is show that there was an intent uh, to kill people. So it, I found it very interesting that right now, if you go out on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it, people are cheering this ruling. But if you actually read the words of what they said, and you're probably going to see this in another day or so or a few hours, you're going to see the pro-Hamas uh, Free Palestine uh, faction get very, very 
angry because I'm looking at a statement from Prime Minister Netanyahu right now who made it clear that they will actually abide by what the International Criminal Court said. Uh, you know, the, his quote was that Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering, right? Uh, that, that, you know, the one, they will report back in a month that they are not committing genocide. That was one of the requirements of, of the findings of the International Criminal Court for Action. Two, that Israel was not found to have committed genocide. They said there is a plausibility that genocide could occur. Well, you can say that in just about any war, right? Two, they want Israel to allow humanitarian assistance in, which has been happening, except for the last three days. I've been here in Israel. Uh, I know that there is an active protest going on down at the um, at the uh, Eretz crossing because the families of hostages are now blocking the roads for Israel's uh, scanning system to allow humanitarian trucks into Gaza. So for the last couple of days, about 300 trucks have not been allowed in because families are blocking the roads. Families of, of abducted uh, Israelis are blocking the roads. Um, so that's two. Another one was that Israel should not violate the Geneva Convention. So, okay. Every, and we all know, anyone who's been in the armed forces knows how this is going to go. Tomorrow morning, there's going to be a squad meeting and everyone's going to be called together and your team leader is going to go, don't violate the Geneva Conventions. And that will be checked off on the box for Israel, for the International Criminal Court of Justice, or International Court of Justice. So they did not find Israel was committing genocide. They did not. Not at all. Uh, the wording is quite simple and interesting, but there are a lot of people out there right now calling this a massive ruling. I mean, like Owen Jones, who I love to hammer on, uh, actually said, this now makes South Africa the leader of the free world. Okay. But Israel was not stopped, was not allowed to, was not stopped from carrying out combat operations the way they want. They have just been told to go back out there and make sure they don't uh, violate the Geneva Convention and not do any genociding and uh, and to give food. And they also called on Hamas to release the hostages. So there you go. Pretty, uh, pretty clear, except some people, you know, actually, I don't know if you know Mehdi Hassan, uh, Malcolm. I know Mehdi Hassan. And you know, I know, him you, you know, you know, he started uh, chirping about a week ago. Because I think most people who, you know, probably has a lot of lawyer friends who probably said this childlike submission to the ICJ is going to get smacked down really quick. And so he started studying the conditions and saying, well, you know what, in the event that Israel is exonerated at the ICJ, I bet you people are going to say this is a green light for Israel to continue killing people. Like he was he was basically preparing his audience for the inevitable, which was pretty obvious. I don't think this is a great big well, for Israel. I think this is normal. Wait. This is normal. Well, first off, they gave a green light for Israel to continue killing. They did not ask Israel to halt, change, modify any of the conditions of combat other than to say, um, do not warn them not to con uh, violate the Geneva Convention, which means you're all going to get a talking to. Right. They're going to hand out Geneva Convention cards, which most Israeli soldiers have. I've seen. 
uh, been with the Army all week, that they have those little Geneva Convention ethics cards. I think it's card. Uh, it's called the, uh, the, the, the Terms of the Warrior or something like that. Um, and then report back in a month. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty standard fare. Um, you're not doing it and don't do it anyway while you're at it. Right. So uh, I'm not sure the, the purpose <laughs> of it, but, um, it w- there was, it was a nothing burger. Most, I, I, I'm not an international lawyer by any sort. I'm not even a lawyer. Um, but I do know the ones I have spoken, including a well-known international jurist said the, the, I, the South Africa submission was painful, meaning it was very, very not good. It was not, it didn't meet any standard that he felt he, um, he knew or understood. Um, so uh, it, it was probably not bound to go anywhere. It seemed like much more like a, a polemic, like, a, you know, a lot of rhetoric, uh, heavy on the on the words and little on the on the substance. Yeah, well, what I found fascinating is this. So minutes, literally minutes after the ICJ gave their ruling, uh, I would say it's about 15, 20 minutes. It, it's actually it's it's one hour, 10 minutes ago, but about 15 or 20 minutes after the ruling, apparently someone in, in Hamas figured out what was going on and that the war would continue, that there was no ceasefire, there was no punishment for Israel, there was no accountability, and they started firing rockets into Cedar Rut, the city of Cedar Rut on the border. So that was Hamas's response to the ICJ which was to bombard civilians within minutes of the ICJ's ruling. Yeah, I mean, another crime <laughs> every time they do it. So, you know, I'm not a lawyer either. I don't pretend to be one. I don't know a lot about this. I did teach Geneva Convention for two years, but that's a completely different kettle of fish. Um, who can bring the charge against Hamas? They're a stateless terrorist entity, Right. Why isn't Israel filing an ICJ case against Hamas for genocide? Yehuda, you still there? Sorry, I'll be right back. One second. Okay. Sorry, sorry about that. One second. Tim. I mean, yeah. Now, Malcolm, I mean, I've got a question. I mean, was yeah. there any was there any criticism in the ruling of the IDF's conduct at all? I mean, you talked about risk. You know, they they have a duty to prevent the risk of genocide, yada, 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 and apply right. international law. Well, no. No. All they, the, the closest they came that said was Israel's war, the conduct of Israel's war was creating death and devastation, which to everyone in the world understands that's the definition of war. And of course, you can't make a legal ruling that the war is genocidal if you're just carrying out a war. Now, of course, this could, you know, people are, are also glomming on to the fact that South Africa was given standing for this, which means that they were a nation state that could come out, make a claim and had it held up. Another body of, of the pro-Palestine crowd are coming out and saying that this is technically a grand jury indictment. Well, no, it's not. It's a ruling. It, it's over and done with. Um, but they didn't define any parameters on the Israeli army, but only on the state of Israel to ensure that they don't, you know, that they adhere to the Geneva Convention. And their ruling was, is that the plausibility, that there is a, it is plausible 
right? That's the word they use. Plausible that genocide could occur, which is dot, 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 someday don't do genocide, right? So the Israelis now have 30 days to come back and say, okay, not doing genocide. And we're going to ensure that people uh, who may have done, uh, you know, harsh speech, like you have Galat and uh, Net- Netanyahu, uh, receive their letters of counseling, right? <laughs> Don't, you know, make apocalyptic speech towards your enemies. And, um, you know, but everything in the ruling, and this is why I say in the next 24 hours, I want you to watch this, there's going to be an explosion of hate at the ICJ because they did not call a ceasefire. They didn't hint that there should be a ceasefire. They didn't say that the Israeli army had done anything wrong. And that is going to start seeping out there when the Owen Joneses of the world stop their, uh, you know, their word games. And you realize that nothing, nothing has changed other than the fact that the ICJ looked at this and uh, said, well, yeah, genocide could happen someday. Well, you could say that in every armed conflict in the world. Genocide could happen if your soldiers went out of their minds. They didn't bring this case against the Syrian government that killed 600,000 of its own people. The Russians, which helped the Syrians gas that 600,000. The Yemenis, which, you know, over 200,000 were killed uh, by the Houthi rebels in combat with the Houthi rebels. Uh, South Sudan, uh, you know, which has tens of thousands killed. Uh, Ethiopia, Ayatria, none of these. Whoops. Got another, sorry there, guys. I got another rocket attack. Ashkelon is getting hit right now, and so is uh, Nativ Hasarara, uh, which is near Eretz. So Hamas is not taking this very well. Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think I think one of the things you said about the uh, about the ruling there is interesting. Um, the conduct of the Israeli armed forces is causing death, destruction, etc. Um, not I hope the so. fact. I of, hope so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not 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 the fact of the war itself, right? So, not the fact of the Gaza operation, the conduct of the IDF. That seems like a stronger statement in condemnation of the IDF. I don't think so. I mean, it, it, you, you one could say that, but someone would have to also define for me that what conduct of an armed force engaged in active combat in a defensive war with 30,000 people would not result in death or destruction. That sentence literally could be applied against any armed force at any time, anywhere. And I think it was a finding of fact, which is, yeah, the Israeli army are causing death and destruction. Well, you tell me something no one knew. Um, that was just a finding. And I, I don't think that that corrals anyone into anything. You're breaking up a little, Mel. Sorry? I think if it had said... Yeah, uh, you're sorry, you carried. broke up a little there. Yeah, oh. I think we've got you back now. No, now we've lost you again. Oh, wait. All right, how about now? That's much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess I when you take it off mute, it's a lot better. Um, but as I was saying, the, the finding is, is quite simple. They literally define that what armies do, which is cause death and destruction. Had they had a finding that they found it was excessive 
They found it violated the Geneva Convention, left and right. They found that it had homicidal, genocidal intent through the mass murder of every man, woman, and child. You know, I'm literally defining what Hamas did on October 7th. That would have been a different ruling. But what they defined was the Israeli army is carrying out a war. So this is, to be quite honest, I, I really, I don't know how people are framing this as a defeat for Israel. This is a pretty resounding win. These people went in for a ruling of genocide. And what they got was, and, and, and the, to exact that as a ceasefire, and what they got was no finding a genocide, no ceasefire. Please report back in a month that you're not genociding. I think part of the problem we have as Western observers to this, right, and Western commentators, or at least part of the problem the opposition to Israel have, is they're viewing this through a prism of kind of Afghanistan and Iraq, right? So they have an expectation of a certain intensity of operations, and they're not fully grasping what the IDF are going through here. You know, they are mounting an incursion into a territory where the default position of the civilian population is extreme hostility. And it's very difficult to tell where the civilian population ends and Hamas begins because they've been in charge of the Gaza Strip for 15 years. Right. So right. they're expect, you know, we're not used to seeing this pace, you know, this pace of operations before the cameras in Gaza in the same way. Right. Right. You know, and I, I that is a brilliant point that you've just made up. And I want to bring attention to some things that I think. Uh, a lot of people who don't follow Ukraine, a lot of people who don't follow war or have ever been anywhere near war. You know, we've recently started seeing these these calls for the Israelis to change their tactics and to stop fighting with the intensity that they had. To, you know, these I don't know who these people are that say just shift to special operations and don't use artillery. I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've interviewed a boatload of soldiers this week uh, who've gotten back from from Gaza, you guys don't seem to understand. This is how since this started is they had thirty thousand entrenched troops when they started this thing. Their strategy was literally to bring the Israeli army in on the twenty seventh of October. Actually, they wanted them to come in on the eighth of October and to turn Gaza into Stalingrad. And what you're seeing is a nonstop fully engaged force that is engaged in 24-7 combat, 24-7 combat for 110 days. So this is more akin to, actually, it is much closer to Stalingrad in terms of the length of time that operations are taking. None of us. I've Look, I've been everywhere. The only place I haven't fought was or been involved in the combat operations was Panama and Grenada. Everything else since Beirut, um, I've been involved in some way, shape, or form. This is not Afghanistan, where you can, you know, have a forward, obs you know, forward observation base. This is not. This is closer to Iraq, um, in Operation Phantom Fury, right? Too, where the Second Battle of Fallujah, only where it doesn't end, right? Where instead of rooting out three thousand guys, we're rooting out ten times that number. Who are dug in above ground, underground, and who have thousands now of spider holes. Um, the Israeli army soldiers that I spoke to are deeply, deeply offended at the impression 
that they would violate the laws of war or shoot at civilians or be indiscriminate when they have limited combat load, right? L- limited resupply. They, you, you know, they have these guys popping up everywhere with RPGs and, and machine guns and that they're gunning down exactly who they came to gun down. Um, our impression, our way of war is long counterinsurgency. This is not counterinsurgency. This is full-scale John Spencer urban warfare, also now going to subterranean warfare. Just because you may not hear of this brigade or that brigade engaged in combat today, they're holding terrain but are being attacked still everywhere. They're now doing this thrust into Khan Yunus, which every effing meter, and they made this very clear to me, multidimensional, up, down, left, right, must be cleared. And once you've cleared it, if you don't find the spider hole, they pop up in the rear anyway. Good example is the incident that took place the other day that killed 24 soldiers, right? That was a previously cleared area. It was reservists carrying out a demolition mission. A guy popped up out of a spider hole that they did not find put an RPG into a tank that caused secondary explosions, set off demolition charges and blew up a building on top of 21 other soldiers. Okay. This is not an operation that is going to take a very short time. This will take months to clear the entire Gaza Strip, which by the way is 40 kilometers by six kilometers deep. Right. But it also goes completely subterranean. It also goes up, through every one of the skyscraper of these uh, 10 story buildings, uh, concrete buildings that they have to deal with. So like Pac-Man, and I've said this several times on the report, they got to eat each 100 meters up, down, left, right. So this is a, this is going to be a very interesting warfare study. I don't think it, anything's been done like this since world war two. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, one of the things just, taking a step back a bit to the legalities of this, right? Mm. One of the points that is made is, you know, you talked about certain commentators are saying this is kind of a grand jury ruling against Israel. One way you could in one way you could interpret it that way, as you said, is that, well, the ICJ, they had the option to just dismiss this charge, right? But they didn't. They did. They did. They did choose to or opt rather to go to ruling. Right. So I guess in that way, it's kind of an indictment of sorts. Right. Yeah. Only if if one could really, really work to interpret that. Look, when you have an organization like the ICJ, right, uh, where they ruled, I think, what was it? They had uh, 15 judges or 17 judges and uh, it was like 15 to two. But if you read carefully, not even carefully, if you read in broad strokes, the International Convention on on Genocide, all of us could be, you know, pretty much charged with genocide because the first term of genocide is the um, the death or you know the death or destruction of a peoples or you know with the you know with the intent to kill or something along that lines. If you read it, it really just defines warfare. 
And it changes the definition from the way it was originally found in World War II, which was with the elimination of those peoples in whole or in part. Well, you would have to find that Israel went in to kill every Palestinian. I mean, if you were to make this ruling against Hamas, they would have to come out, right? 100%. Hamas stated it. Hamas did it. By kicking this can down the road and finding South Africa had ruling, had standing, I'm sorry, to, to bring the charge against them. Um, only if, based on their own ruling, they continue to see genocide, right? Or they continue to see activities and to preserve, you know, and, and to show more evidence. I, I think that they could have just said no, but, you know, you have to understand that these are lawyers. And for those of you who have been around Judge Advocate Generals and others, it's always, nothing is definitive. Everything is a question of law. And by making this ruling, it gives them time to, I don't know, reinterpret the law, to rediscuss the law. But what it didn't do was, you know, you're right. They didn't just throw it out and say, Israel's not doing genocide. Well, how would you know? That means now you're going to have to carry out investigations if you want to go any further, right? You're going to have to come up with examples of it. And here's where we stand into danger. Hamas will start trying to prove those examples. They are a very, very political organization. They understand that their entire strategy of invading Israel and slaughtering those people was to get Israel right where they are today, which is in front of the International Criminal Court. And, uh, and to gain uh, support, money, resources, manpower, political, um, uh, political support from the Arab states in a way that they hadn't had since 1973, which is why they carried out that operation on the day of the 1973 war plus one day. So this is a political operation in, in its finest form. But yeah, okay. I don't think many courts would have, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a definitive ruling because they lacked evidence. Look, they took at face value um, the Hamas-supplied numbers to the United Nations uh, Refugee Association uh, Agency, to UNRWA. Just took them at face value. There was no findings. There were no hearings. Um, you know, those of you who know, here on the report, I'm very skeptical of those numbers. Hamas claimed 25,000 dead in 2014. And when the, num when the smoke cleared and they actually counted bodies, it was 2,500 with over uh, two-thirds of those being combatants, men. So, uh, you know, it didn't have 10,000 dead children like they claimed in 2014. It was 500, which is horrible. No one should be dying in these wars. But for the ICJ, uh, ICJ to make any ruling other than well, we'll take a look at it, and it's possible, right? I mean, one, like I said, many people came on to this going, if the ICJ doesn't rule in our way, they're completely corrupt, right? In a Donald Trumpian, you know, it's all rigged way. But within the next 24 hours, you're going to see that anger. They're going to start seething their little dance parties in the streets. Uh, South Africa, a, a country that I really wouldn't be uh, bragging about, uh, you know, will come out and, and claim that they had a major victory against Israel. That's because this is just, you know, you're, you're calling out a combat operation. The only difference between it 
in Syria is, is that they didn't carry out genocide. They didn't drop chemical weapons 300 times, but they are Jews. And I think the ICJ, you know, understood that, 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 you know, this really doesn't call Israel to account, but it also kicks the issue down the road for, and keeps it open for future possibilities. But all Israel has to do is report back in, according to them, and say, we're not doing that. I would make videos of every soldier getting briefed, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, something, something that's occurred to me here, right, is the Russian angle. Um, and the, well, the ANC is a creature of the, uh, of Russian intelligence and always has been, I mean, the, the relationship between that political party and the Kremlin is, is, I mean, it's just really, really tight. Um, now that this will go, this ruling, basically there's a certain amount of cognitive dissonance going on about it, right? Because the ruling itself is a nothing burger. When Israel comes back and answers the so-called, you know, they've been bound over not to do a genocide, they'll come back and say, well, we're not doing a genocide, obviously. And the ICJ, being an institution that does actually have, you know, the rule of law, it's not a political institution, it will it will accept Israel's word, right? Because there's plainly not a genocide occurring. Um, now, this will, as you say, create an absolute bombardment of hatred, particularly from the tanky sphere and the Arab world against the ICJ as an institution. Now, this will go a long way to ruining its credibility in, uh, in the global south. And so there's probably quite a strong Russian interest, right, in taking this, uh, in taking this kind of international arbitration court and trashing it in the eyes of a good a good slice of the, the international community. So we think, you know, do you think this could be like just literally a Russian op? They've said to the ANC, look, bring this case. We know it's a ridiculous case, so we're not going to bring it ourselves. But you can do it because, you know, no, everybody's got pretty low expectations of you anyway. Um, it will ruin the reputation of the ICJ. And we find that politically useful because we're doing a genocide ourselves. Yeah, I think that I think this is where you're seeing Russia's latent diplomatic power, which, as we all know, since Vladimir Putin came into power in the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia's real diplomatic power has been quite simple. It has economic it, it has economic liquidity. It has money. It buys governments now. It uses PMC Wagner to overthrow stable governments uh, where they just go right to those lieutenants in the army and they go, here's a million dollars in gold bars and here's what we want to do. We're going to do this and you're going to get this share of, of, of power. This is just literally raw power politics, raw capitalist politics, to be quite honest. And it's the only thing Russia has other than influence warfare operations. But it's easy to do when you have, I mean, South Africa showed its hand when it came out on the side of Russia against Ukraine. It was very clear. They were in it for the mullah, right? Uh, and that South Africa has now aligned itself to be, you know, uh, I guess it wants to be thrown into BRICS, uh, you know, become the SA part of BRICS, and, uh, and views itself as a, uh, as a political player now on on. On the 
on the diplomatic sphere, sort of in the way that, uh, you know, uh, Bolsonaro was doing in in Brazil. But let's be honest. I mean, to, to show you the example of that, of how that is has so permeated this, the very fact that Owen Jones, his second comment was South Africa is the leader of the free world now. Bitch, what? It's like, you've got to be deluded. There are these guys that don't remember, you know, maybe he's never visited South Africa, you know, a lovely place, but they are not the, the global leader in anything. Okay. Although when you think about the strategic um, the yarn strings that could be pulled here, Russia and Iran supporting the Houthis, closing off the Red Sea. Uh, as a reward for that, ships now have to go across the around the Cape of Good Hope and will have to provision and stop and work and, you know, take, uh, you know, take on uh, hotel services in South Africa. That's a benefit no one saw, uh, you know, that a couple of guys with ballistic missiles and, and drones, the same models that are being fired at Ukraine. Uh, Russia understands the, the, the you know. Okay, that in ways that there he goes. We don't uh, yes, because we don't control we our ship. Oh, My mic. Are you still gone? Are you still yeah. on? You're good now, but we lost you for about 15 seconds. Oh, okay. I was saying, but China is now getting upset at the machinations of Russia, Iran, and others with regards to this. Russia is positioning itself. And, and found the perfect foil here as the opposite polar, uh, you know, polar sphere. And since U.S. Congress seems to work for Moscow, since the Republican House seems to work for Moscow, they are starting to exercise an appearance of power that that real power politicians, people who are corrupt, not only understand, but respect. And I guess the other uh, the the other curveball with that one is, of course, the uh, prospect of uh, Chinese and potentially Russian ships being stationed in South Africa. Right? Um, there are shenanigans ongoing there. Well, we've seen that, and it it really is. This is why this political year is so dangerous, because a lot of bets are going on. I know in the here in the Maria Report, you guys try to be nonpartisan, and many of you know that I've I've written four books uh, about the Trump administration and Russian intelligence. That's not true. Three. And uh, the other one was about American Civil War coming. But, you know, they also understand that the United States could be teetering on ending its 248-year democracy. And that their candidate, their person, will come in there and will join everything that they're doing including upsetting and eliminating the world order since World War II, the rules-based order. Many people are placing their bets today on this happening. South Africa will, is one of those countries that will find themselves a share of a diamond mine or a cobalt mine or some other very lucrative place and make sure that it drops off a truck in front of you know, one of Donald Trump's sons, should he be elected president. And a lot of the stuff we enjoy, right, like our support for Ukraine, will end. 
we could find the world that we live in could change very dramatically. And Russia is betting on that now. And so that's why you saw Russian merchant ships uh, in South Africa supposedly picking up military equipment. I wouldn't be surprised if you see after these rulings an uptick in sub-Saharan African or South African mercenaries, people going to Russia to fight for the Russian army. Not like the International Legion, just paid guys. We have a Sudanese, we have an Ethiopian. I personally know of two uh, guys from Mali that we killed very early on in the war that were part of Wagner. Uh, you know, the polls are changing in that the bad guys, now they see themselves as a viable alternative to democracy. And they're putting, they're placing their bets, their economic, their political, and their power bets in many ways. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much, Malcolm. Um, we have got a few hands. Uh, so I'll go to Peter, uh, who was my co-host. So he jumps the queue. Uh, James, then flop tyrants. Uh, Peter, you're up. Yeah. And one thing to add about exactly what you were saying then, Malcolm, is that uh, the Russian Navy are, are in the moment uh, needing to get into a, have a permanent base in Simonstown, uh, just off Cape Town. And that is absolutely critical for um, shipping, international shipping routes via the uh, Cape of Good Hope. And what's happening in the Red Sea, that the, the, a lot of the shipping is being diverted from the from the Red Sea and the Suez Canal around the Cape of Good Hope. Right. And the Russians are positioning there. You know, it's a deliberate game. It's not a random series of things. It's it's a deliberate strategy to try and force their agenda on us and their their system of extortion, of, of coercion, of threats, of, you know, all the rest of it, and genocide and, and, and subjugation of people on us. Anyway, that's enough from me. That's a good point. And, you know, I, I actually wrote an op-ed about this in my Substack. If, if you guys aren't following me on Substack at my Malcolm Nance at Substack, I have a lot. That's where all my big writing is going on. And one of the things that I had written about with regards to the Houthis was it was it, it is their goal. Iran, the, you know, and Russia and China, they all understand each other. The Chinese are starting to get a little antsy about the Houthis cutting off the routes to the Suez Canal, but they also are appreciating the fact that now their exports can be a little higher, can have a higher profit margin because they do have to be, they're a little more expensive. But Russia reads the West well. They know that in the United States, the big issue that people were angry with Joe Biden was the cost of inflation. Not the cost really of gasoline, but the cost of general items going up. The Houthis cutting off Suez Canal forces those items in Europe and the United States to go up. I mean, the only thing that can happen next to, to make it any worse is somebody starts cutting off shipping lanes out of Singapore, right, where container ships go. But th they understand any one cent, two cent, five cent rise. They're advocates in the Republican Congress. And they're not just advocates. These people are bought and paid for. I mean, Donald Trump says it, then it's true. So their advocates in the Republican Congress will actually use the fact that Iran and the Houthis are causing the rises in these these um, the, the rises in these uh, these prices in the United States to blame 
President Biden to get him out in order to turn the United States into an allied autocracy. Like I wrote in my book, The Plot to Destroy Democracy. There is an there has been a plan in place by Vladimir Putin for years to change the poles of the world away from the American NATO North Atlantic Alliance to a Moscow-based one which goes through right-wing extremist governments throughout Western Europe, like Orban, the one in Slovakia, Slovenia, Serbia, and to shift them over or to get guys like uh, uh, Geert Wilders elected in, in, um, in Netherlands, uh, Marine Le Pen, to get her elected to dismantle the, the Western order. And the only thing that's really defied them is the fact that they are that Ukraine is beating them senseless. But Russia is now exercising influence in the world using information. Way old KGB tactics. Do you know that one of the biggest advertisers in India today for billboards, bus boards, and um, subway station advertising? Do you know who it is? It's Russia Today television. And what they put on there is statements against the West. Almost as if the, it's like the KGB had a $10 billion budget, right? Just for advertising back in the 1960s. They didn't. They had a budget of like $12 and a bottle of vodka. But now they have all this money. And so influence operations. Oh, another place Russia Today is advertising extensively is Mexico and the cities along the American border in Spanish. So if you don't think that we're in danger, we can't play these integrated counter-information operations because one, half of the American Congress is in the pocket of Moscow. And they're only there because Donald Trump says they're there, therefore they're there. Done. That, if, if that's a hard reality, all of you will have to accept. Whether you support Trump, whether you don't support Trump, I don't care. But everything that is going to happen to us, that is impacting us, now, it used to be, okay, well, that's an accident. Now, there is a lot of d intelligent design factored into all the, these little things that are going on against us. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you, Malcolm. Um, okay, we're going to hands. Uh, let's go to Mr. James Healy, please. James, welcome. Hey, Tim. Hey, Peter. Hope you guys are doing well. And Malcolm, thank you for coming and spending your time with us. Um, and it, you've taught us and me especially a lot. Um, and so I'm uh, just reminded of all those things that you've said in the past and love your book. They want to kill Americans, not because it's, a, oh. you know, it's just a great book, because I think uh, for me, it's like, yep, this is what's happening. And, and the cuckoos or whatever you want to call them are coming home to roost right now uh, they're coming wait till this movie on civil war this supposed fantasy movie about an american civil war comes out this spring and people turn that into a template to go up against yeah. the government there was a movie on uh, netflix or, or i think it was netflix uh, berwick or something like this and it was it some little town somewhere made up name 
And uh, it just showed these kind of almost disconnected um, battle scenes, urban battle scenes where just somebody will break into a house, you know, be equipped with basically military equipment, but not quite more. I guess you'd say paramilitary. I don't know, but that's not my field. Yeah. But anyway, they and they went and they killed people. And the only people who had guns in the movie that were in the resistance were these Orthodox Jews. So so I, that just neither here nor there. So I think they've already put out movies like that. But uh, yeah, anyway. or the TV show Jericho. Jericho is that the same? I, I've not seen it. No, Jericho was about atomic bombs going off in the United States, but it was about the um, the events that surrounded that village, Jericho, Kansas, and the nearby towns. And it that was so scary. People actually, you know, people in national security thought, man, this is how it's going to happen. Village versus village warfare. But go ahead. Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, culture, culture club. Uh, come to our book uh, club sometime. Um, if you're in an up or need of an upbeat mood, we're doing uh, the Zelensky effect. Uh, and it is an upbeat one compared to um, <clears throat> Timothy Snyder's book, uh, The Road to Unfreedom, um, which is full of dark and ugly topics. But anyways, my point in hopping on in the first place was just to um, speak about genocide a little bit. And the center of the law is intent. And uh, the proof of it, the standard of it determines whether or not somebody can be convicted given the evidence. And what's clear to me after Epstein um, is that the, um, the need of the very rich to get away and not be killed uh, is powerful. And um, so if you set the standard up for a couple billion dollars or not being killed, um, then that might be um, something that that should be understood. It's that people are going to get away with it or not. But the main thing I want to say is that I believe Israel has been given um, a real gift here because I think written into this is that they have the chance um, to first, everybody who's misled by it already, <clears throat> if they do ever read it or do hear about it, then they will. Uh, it's going to so oppose what they've been told. Um, they're going to have that cognitive dissonance moment really strongly again. And Israel, they're asking Israel to dominate the news cycle for a while. So uh, it's, it's going to be uh, very interesting as people see this, and especially as you guys have already pointed out that they didn't ask him to stop. They didn't say there was anything really wrong. You know, carry on, men. I, but they really did kind of split the baby, I guess, and say, made it sound like, oh, Israel really has to address problems. But that serves to calm down a lot of people for a while. And that's worth something, I think, rather than having uh, an immediate, massive, ugly reaction to it from people who are angry and willing to kill. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. Exactly. Um, and, I, and you know what? They're, again, they're lawyers, right? 17. I, was it 15 judges or 17? I, I think 17 pops into my head. But for them to come and say, we have looked at this. We have addressed the concerns of the world. There is a war going on. It is causing death and destruction. And we call on Israel to allow humanitarian aid in. Well, Israel has allowed humanitarian aid in, you know, since before the ceasefire. Prior, until three days ago, there were 100 or more trucks going in per day. There have been over 10,000 trucks of food going into Gaza. That food is immediately hijacked by Hamas. 
the medicines that were supposedly sent in as part of the deal with Qatar to go to the International Committee of the Red Cross that was supposed to get, what was it, 1,000 units of medicine for every one unit of medicine that was supposed to go to the hostages. The ICRC didn't even take it. That was all hijacked and stolen by Hamas. So, you know, um, I think that as, as the IC, uh, ICJ made their rule and made their finding, because I don't think it's, it's absolutely over. I think that if they come back in 30 days and the Israeli army is, you know, that, that they have definitive proof that the Israeli army is mass murdering people and is out to commit genocide, um, you know, then, um, then what can they do? Pass it on for a full inquiry? Look, it's war. I, and what I've been pulling my hair out for the last 100 some odd days because people don't seem to understand that it is a war. It's a war that's been going on like this all over the world every day, except that this one has an exceptional component to it. And the only thing that I can derive from my years of working in this part of the world is that it's because it's being waged by Jews. And that means that they have a higher standard of, of ethics, moral, you know, you know, they have to have a higher level of moral turpitude. They have to actually wage war in such a way that terrorists can walk through their own country, slaughter their people, and they are now being attacked, attacked for defending themselves against those terrorists. Look, let's just put it on the table. I mean, if, if it wasn't apparent to everyone before, all right, this is a war on Judaism. This is just global Jew hatred. And now with the crazy conspiracy theory internet world that we live in, okay, Everyone can come out and claim that the Rothschilds and George Soros and everybody else are waging war against the poor brown people of the world. And we have to, you know, and that the rest of the world has to come to their aid. And anyone that sides with the Jews is obviously corrupt and part of that system. I see this thousand times a day, every day, as opposed to the fact that this is a relatively run of the mill war with an intensive air campaign. I got into it with Evan Hill of the Washington Post about uh, four weeks ago when he put out a study of a they did a satellite study of the buildings that were destroyed in Gaza. And they made some pretty amazing claims like this was the single most destructive war in the 21st century. It's like, really? Have you never heard of a city called Mariupol? There were 30,000 dead civilians. They're just missing. And we know it because the cemeteries around the city opened up by an order of magnitude. You know, 10, 20 times their original size. The, the spies there took photographs in the cemeteries, you know, of number 17,535. We're not seeing any of that. In Gaza, what we are seeing is what we can see, which is that wars in an urban environment consume buildings, hiding places, uh, places which give an enemy advantage in warfare and are destroyed by an opposing force. And that's what I said to him. Your, your imagery analysis 
shows that there was an urban war. Now, do Mariupol, right? Do, you know, do, do Bakhmut, do Severodonetsk, Lysychansk. What, what are you telling us here? By saying buildings are destroyed, you cannot say, and there's 30,000 dead civilians in there. No, there's not. There's not. All you can say is what every junior, and I sort of insulted him a few times because he's a fucking idiot. You can only tell me what an E3 Air Force basic intelligence, uh, imagery intelligence analyst could, which is those buildings are damaged from warfare. Done. That's it. Oh, and I asked him, I said, do you have advanced radar capable imagery sensing for underground to know when they dropped a 2000 pound JDAM at an, a JDAM bomb at an intersection? Did you know what was under it? No, they were angry that a JDAM was dropped within a thousand meters of a hospital. Okay, did you ask the Israelis why they chose that weapon system? What the targeteering formula was for that? Why did the weaponeers choose that system instead of four, five hundred pound bombs? What blast effect were they looking for? Nothing. You know why they didn't, they couldn't respond to that? Because they're not professionals. And if anybody knows what my biggest bitch on Twitter when I come on the Myriad Report is, it's amateurs versus professionals. Now, yes, I'm a cryptologist. Yes, I'm a signals intelligence guy that went into human intelligence. But guess what? When I went through the military, imagery analysis was a critical component of everything I did because you can listen to a target, but if you don't know what the building looks like, whether he's got a corral of a hundred tanks around them, whether the mast was five meters tall or 500 meters tall, then you're just an idiot. You're just a guy with a bag over his head listening to, you know, audible. So this was critically important in my field. Fusion intelligence is all they hammered into our head. Human signals, telemetry, Radio, radar, imagery, everything was our. Sorry, Malcolm, I muted you by mistake. Uh, please unmute and continue. Oop. There you go. All right. Anyway, that's my rant off. Next. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Malcolm. Um, we had a message. Uh, we had a question from uh, Flop Tyrants. Unfortunately, he's had to rush. Um, the composition of the ICJ panel of judges, which countries are they from? Um, what impact do we think that that has? Um, I understand that the judge from Uganda um, has caused a bit of a stir for ruling very, very strongly in um, uh, in. Oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, very strongly yeah. in uh, uh, Israel's favour, but right. there may be there may be some shenanigans there because the ICJ recently ruled against Uganda, uh, particularly their backing of rebel movements in the Congo. Um, so there does seem to be some shenanigans going on there. Looking at the composition of the judges, I see there's one from China. Um, there's one from Russia. Um, the rest of them seem to be from fairly normal countries. Oh, there's an Indian there. Um, but the rest of them seem fairly sound. I mean, what's your take on that, Malcolm? You need to unmute if you're speaking. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that. 
I, you know, the, the it you you still have to understand these are lawyers, and I've been around a bunch of lawyers for the last few years on television. Uh, if there is something interesting, I'm going to teach you guys something about lawyers. I don't care who they are. You get three lawyers in a room, two lawyers in a room. They all shift to this collegial attitude of, and the first question they ask is, oh, where did you go to school? Where did you go to law school? Who did you clerk for? Where did you work? Which firm were you at? Blah, blah, blah. I've been in the room with ultra uber conservative lawyers, with ultra uber liberal lawyers on completely opposing sides of the spectrum. But when those people get in the room, they become lawyers. So what we saw today was a good example of how lawyers behave. And I think that I, many people, like I said, wait, don't, don't, this first blush, just ignore it. Wait till tomorrow when the free Palestine pro-Hamas people suddenly figure out there was no ceasefire called. Israel was not punished. Israel was not even called and said that they did genocide. They made a very simple ruling that you or I might have by reading the letter of the law of the of the human rights convention of the um, genocide convention, which is saying that the death of people in whole or in part. If I kill in combat through an airstrike five, you know, Yemenis, Houthis, you could argue that the United States in whole or in part killed Houthis, and that that was a plausible risk of genocide based on the way that the law is written. It's not as black and white as you think. It is not written that you must mass murder hundreds of thousands of people and expect them not to exist. Operation that I was involved in, uh, the, although obliquely, was the Rwandan genocide when we did a non-combatant evacuation operation. Uh, you know, the Hutus, uh, and there's, I saw some very interesting reporting this week. They were like, oh, the Israelis sold the government of Rwanda some military equipment. The Hutus ordered a million, a million machetes and knives from China for like 10, 15 cents each. 99.9% .9 of the people that were killed in that were killed by a machete or a knife. So, I mean, in theory, you could argue that China carried out the genocide of Rwanda. My point is, is that when those lawyers get into a room, they get all lawyerly. And even the ones who want to behave, misbehave, um, you find out that they will act as lawyers. And in this case... I felt that the ruling is a complete, is it not a complete victory, but is a victory for Israel. They essentially said, carry on, conduct the war the way that you're conducting. Just make sure that there's no Geneva Convention violations and report in a month to us people who said naughty things at the beginning of the war. And if you gave them letters of counseling. Right. That's how lawyers are. Get a bunch of get a bunch of JAG officers in the same space and they'll probably come up with the same ruling. Uh, but you see how they now, if you go on Twitter, the vitriol against the Ugandan judge, holy cow, you know, I wouldn't be surprised somebody takes a shot at her. <clears throat> Next question. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Malcolm. Okay, um, I think the order is uh, Raver Terixus James. Raver, you're up. 
Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, Malcolm. So uh, a couple of things here, a uh, little bit off topic real quick. If anybody is interested in a really good apocalyptic tale, read the first book of the Dies to Fire series by R.N. Sterling. It is absolutely wonderful. Um, but more on point, I haven't read the ICJ ruling, but I, I do want to speak a little bit about Hamas's claims that all these people are dying. You know, the, a bomb gets dropped on a building, all of a sudden Hamas is, is showing pictures and claiming, you know, so-and-so died. And that is complete and utter bullshit. Now, I've been tangentially connected to some urban search and rescue teams and have quite a bit of experience in disasters. When buildings fall down, to figure out who's under them is a rather involved process. You've got to shore, you've got a crib, you've got to tunnel and de layer to get to the people. You can't just pull them out. I mean, maybe a couple that are at the surface, but anybody is more than welcome to go investigate what I'm saying by looking at the rescue efforts after any major earthquake, which does damage similar to a, a bomb or a hurricane or a tornado, or look at the efforts that went on at the pile at 9-11, that is an involved, intensive process just to get the remains out and then to figure out who they are because, you know, concrete does bad things to bodies when you've got hundreds of tons pushed up, put on top of squishy stuff. It takes forensic uh, investigation, DNA matching, looking for, you know, matching, you know, bits of, bits of bones to other bits of bones to make sure that you've got one person or not two people. It, it's an involved process. The idea that Hamas would come out, you know, within minutes and say, oh, these 15 people were there and they died. Here's their photos is absolute bullshit. It's designed as propaganda to feed a narrative aimed at people who don't know what they're actually looking at. Well, that is a perfect example. Um, you know, we had this discussion about when Hamas came out towards the ceasefire, about a week before the ceasefire, and said that in a 10-day period, they identified 6,785, if I'm not mistaken, civilians that were killed by name, by UN refugee number, by age, by family member, by extended family name. Israel, at that point, hadn't even identified the 900 civilians that were murdered. With modern technology, here's Hamas with no power, no resources, no equipment, knows every one of 6,000 people killed in a week. Really? Really? Some of those people, as, as one journalist noted, had UN refugee numbers that weren't issued when those people were born. So bullshit is bullshit. People want to believe these numbers. I've had that. I've had it out here on Miria Report, where I've come up and said I do not believe the numbers. I had a talk this week uh, with the Israeli, with some members of the Israeli government, and I said, "You had better figure out whether you believe those numbers or not." And then you had better, when you, you know, th now they're coming out with this. They're saying there's nine thousand soldiers. Uh, they have nine thousand combatants dead. I don't know about you, but. I'm pretty sure we know who we kill in a daily basis. If you're giving an estimate on people who may be trapped underground based on intelligence of them saying, hey, 30 percent of such and such battalion is wiped out and you knew what the start number was, you'll find out. But the Israelis need to start, you know, a, a whole of government approach. Um, and I found out this week that they are not using a whole of government approach in figuring out what the statistics are with Hamas. 
uh, and um, and the civilians over there. But you're right. When you drop a building, here's what here's what I said to the Evan Hill at the Washington Post. All you were showing me is that buildings were damaged. That's it. That's all you can say. And I said, if you were a junior analyst under me and I was your senior person, the first thing I would do is snatch up a senior analyst and go back and say, go teach that kid what this job is. You cannot extrapolate anything just because you see buildings are damaged. Those of you who've been in Ukraine or in other places in Ukraine, I've gone through dozens upon dozens of villages that were leveled, leveled, right? Including the city of Kupiansk that was badly damaged. And you know what? There's two things that I found that was true. Every house could lose all its roof and its windows, and we'd be sitting there taking up defensive positions or doing clearing, and up would pop a babushka right out of the middle of it. Not to come look for us. She come out of the house, come look for the cat. And the next thing, we're doing humanitarian work and looking for her cat. This happened, by the way. So civilians will, will speciate an area that you think may have been devastated by war. Some people will not leave. Okay, but here's one thing that we can tell you. You cannot tell, oftentimes, through satellite imagery, you can't tell unless you're on the ground. Unless you smell it, unless you see it, but say, okay, there's a 10 story building here. The Israelis dropped the first two stories on it. They devastated all the buildings around it. What is that? You're going to come out and say that's a thousand dead civilians. Show me a thousand dead civilians. That's the first question I would ask as an intelligence professional. Show them to me. I've seen a thousand dead guys. Uh, I've had this uh, controversial statement on, uh, well, Sorry, guys, I got called the prayers going, but um, I don't know if you can hear that, but I'm right next to a very, very old, old mosque. Um, but I've seen a thousand people at the Battle of Mutla Ridge in Desert Storm. We wiped out a thousand Iraqis trying to escape and we went around and we counted them when they were fresh. You know, I got it. I don't know, remember 400 ish. And there were more going up the hill. All right. Civilian bodies don't disappear, even though in Islam it says that they should be buried within 24 hours. Or if they're trapped in a building, you're going to know it one way or the other. You're going to smell it. You watch the dogs, by the way, which is a horrible thought. But or you're going to you're going to find some evidence of it. But, you know, the numbers that they've been giving to us. You know, in 2014, they said that it was 25,000 dead. It turned out to be 2,500, a horrible number. But, you know, that was 52 days of intense combat. Now we've got doubled that. So we'll find out eventually, but we won't find out through Hamas, and we won't find out through the Palestinians or the United Nations because the United Nations just believes any number that's handed to them by Hamas. Which goes straight back to your central thesis, it's Jew hatred. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, did you see people complaining about body, camp, body counts in Syria when they were dropping sarin nerve gas? No, not at all. Not one protest. Right? The only thing I can come up with, if this was a clean operation, and I would say, what is the cultural norm here that's universal throughout the world that's making you hate these guys so much? Well, 
you know, there's only 15 million Jews in the world and, and pretty much 10 million of them are over here. You just don't like them. Next question, Tim. Thank you very much to you both. Um, I think it's Terixus next. Terixus. Yeah, I have two things. And thank you for being, uh, for hosting and answering questions. Uh, welcome. What I was wondering, you referenced uh, the, the humanitarian aid trucks being held up now, three days, to be on trucks. What I'm really wondering is why there's so many trucks going into an area of 25 square kilometer and there's not a truck going into Ukraine. And second, yeah. and second um, I've been tagging my news outlets about every day because every day uh, a Ukrainian hospital gets leveled. And somehow those three ones in Israel are really popular somehow. The, the, I, I don't really understand how the United Nations is um, so, well, um, so, so not objective in, this, in, in these matters. Well, they're not objective. Uh, actually, it, um, look, I'm looking at a newspaper. I just want to give you a little aside. UN Stunner, top court finds genocide risk in Gaza. That ain't genocide. That's a risk, and it called it a plausible risk, but it didn't say it was happening. So that's an interesting uh, case, you know, uh, especially since they told Israel to continue combat operations. Um, Gaza is actually bigger than that. Gaza is, 25, is 40 kilometers long by, I believe, six kilometers wide. It's very narrow, but it's very long. Uh, that's 25 miles by a mile, uh, two, two miles, I think four miles long. So wide. So, you know, it's a pretty dense area. There's a lot of civilians there. Um, but um, the aid convoys that are going in there have been going in there uh, almost consistently. I constantly have to fight people who are saying Israel's starving the Gazans. We are set letting in. They are letting in the trucks that of material and food that were agreed to by Egypt and Hamas. Every one of those trucks has to be scanned. The only truck that trucks that weren't scanned were the 10 trucks that got uh, that were sent in by Qatar that supposedly had the medicines for the hostages and the hospitals. That's the 10 to 1 uh, or 1,000 to 1 uh, hospital unit uh, medicines for each hostage. They were not scanned. We took it on faith that uh, the Qataris were not smuggling in weapons. But only the last couple of days, Israelis are upset about this. They're upset their people aren't being released. Uh, but we also know that these trucks are routinely, if not universally, hijacked by Hamas. Hamas is the ruling power. Hamas are the men with rifles. Uh, Hamas have the weapons. Ah, got another, sorry. Another rocket attack? Where are we at? Ein uh, La Shlosha, which is just to the east of Khan Yunus. So the, <laughs> the Palestinian Hamas is not taking this UN ruling well. They are rocketing areas that haven't had rockets in the last two weeks. So, uh, the, so what what I was saying there is that you know the. The, the conduct of the war, the way that it's going right now with regards to food and humanitarian aid, 
All Israel has to do is say, yes, we are sending in humanity. We are allowing humanitarian aid and provide the data. I would provide video. Um, you know, it's going to take a little something to get these hostage families to get out of the road. But there's a lot of sympathy here for that. Thank you very much. Uh, James, you're up. James, welcome. Great, thanks. Yeah, you know how it is on another screen. Um, wow. Uh, it, it seems really plausible to me that 24,000 dead could be all militants just from numerics, right? Uh, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but that's just a thought. And then the other is, is that I think bodies can disappear. Um, human traffickers do that. And uh, that would be a way to get, um, you know, where we can't find them. They must have body must have been destroyed. And they're somewhere else, maybe. And that would be a Russian thing to do. Um, well, so, let me let me so, pause you there real okay. quick. Okay, but I do have a. I know, I'll let you ask the next question. And yeah, but you got an Occam's razor stuff here, all right? All you junior Intel analysts for me. Uh, Occam's razor it, right? What is the simplest answer? Bodies disappearing, maybe going into the organ trade, or there weren't no motherfucking bodies, right? That the numbers that people are claiming are killed were not killed. Because image, you can image the dead. You can image mass graves. You can you can actually count bodies on the basis of the width, the depth, and then cross correlate that against um, known statements about it. Um, but little easier just to you know make up the numbers. For every one person that's killed, you say it's ten. If any of you have ever worked in the Middle East and have ever worked with people from South Asia, the Middle East, North Africa, even Africa. They tend to fudge the numbers a lot. In Iraq, it was by a magnitude of 10. If I said, how many guys did you see? They would say 10, chief. And if I would ask them again, they would say, well, really just two or one. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but it, it exists. So go on with your question. Okay, thanks. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, you are the professional. I am the amateur, so and I know it. Uh, so I just wanted to say about the prosecution of this war and the conclusion and the review that'll happen, that I think that the Jews fervently want this genocide law to work. Um, and if it doesn't work for them, it won't work for anybody. Uh, and otherwise, it, if it doesn't work for Gaza, it won't work for everybody. So, so far, it's worked for Gaza. What they're going to learn is, is that they're going to, Gaza, uh, Hamas, Palestine, really, um, that they're going to learn that this is not acceptable behavior first, that, wow, the Israel, Israel's not doing anything wrong, essentially, is what I heard. So, uh, they're going to learn and they'll be better off for it if they can then follow up with the steps needed to renounce genocide um, and well, uh, re renounce it and then move on from it. So I think that was the, just the last the last little point is okay. that uh, Russia has a culture that um, verified by some people that uh, now serve as co-hosts here. <laughs> this, this is their opinion, not also not uh, professionals uh, that. This is the kind of close to the core of Russian culture, genocide, that is. Yeah. Thank you, thank well, you for listening. And when are we going to see Russia before the ICJ? Right? When are, when are we going to start seeing countries that are actually carrying out genocides come before the ICJ? Um, this one's special. This one is because there are Jews involved. 
And there, there is just this, you know, if you've never seen anti-Semitism on a global scale, you're seeing it now. Next question. Thank you very much. Um, let us go to Saul, please. Saul, you're up. Hey, Malcolm. <clears throat> hey, I really appreciate you. I, every time you post, somehow I always am completely on board with everything you're saying. Um, might just be chance, but I don't know. Anyways, I really appreciate, you know, your presence here. And thanks for answering questions. Um, so honestly, I really just have more, like, basically just one comment more than anything else. I just want to, I'm commenting mainly on the numbers of, de- of deaths re- reported in Gaza. Um, my background is in anthropology. And um, generally, when it comes to finding accurate information in a war zone, it is virtually impossible. You're going to be running, coming up against way too many uh, uh, roadblocks as far as like honest reporting goes. And even if you're getting honest reporting, there's no way to bet that it's true. So there's a lot of deep, those are very complicated issues when it comes to actually getting real information out of a war zone, as I'm sure you're aware. But no, I, I really wanted more talk about, um, it's it's just ironic that, you know, we're hearkening back to the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and all these other uh, conflicts that the U.S. was involved in in the 2000s, where we were scrutinizing, you know, any sort of civilian death or anything like that would occur. And we'd be uh, uh, the, you know, DOD was internally sort of trying to maintain some semblance of uh, normality, yet now... It's only seemed to emerge in the last five years. We tend to ignore our own norms of like procedural investigation into like finding out how to actually how many people have died. And it's it's I would say more related to Hamas, Russia and other sort of bad actors taking advantage of some things that exist in um, the Western hemisphere, like in the Western sort of media scape that like are honestly, you could take two minutes and figure out how to penetrate this kind of stuff. What I'm saying is. We're using, we're taking advantage of a media environment that is obviously more interested in producing content than actually creating real journalism. And I remember about 20 some years ago, everyone thinking, oh God, it's the death of the newspaper. You know, this is the end of journalism. You know, this is the end of the, you know, and it it was, it was honestly kind of this point where I, I rolled my eyes saying, no, we'll be fine. Well, I think honestly, journalism did die 20 years ago. And now what we're looking at is sort of these media platforms that, are more like social media than they are actually true journalistic platforms, which is not, that's not really much of a controversial statement. But um, yeah. anyways, I, I, all I'm saying is I really want to echo the fact that, you know, we have some glaring weaknesses, especially in, in the United States. Okay. We, 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 we kind of assume that because we project power, the power we still maintain globally Yet somehow we're being undermined. And I think what we've done is we just kind of taken for granted the fact that we have some deep wounds in this country. We like socially, we are not a healthy country. And it was it's it, it does not take a genius. And it certainly doesn't, you know, I'm sure there's some maybe some smart people left in Russia, but it doesn't take a smart one to figure out the fact that we've got a deep divide in this country and that, you know, there are other there are just very exploitable weaknesses to the to, to what we do here in the West and ignoring that is only killing us. It's, it's only making everything worse. I mean, it really makes me sick day to day. Can I make a quick comment about that? Yes. Thank you. Well, first off, you're right about social media and news media. You're, you were right 20 years ago. Um, here's, here's the, the glaring example. And I wrote this in my, my book, the plot to destroy democracy, which was about how Putin was using the FSB to literally create this axis of autocrats around the world and using intelligence and disinformation warfare 
to, to reframe the global narrative. And any crazy person, uh, let's use a good example. There's a guy, a, a guy named Cat Turd uh, on Twitter and on Instagram and all these things who is a influencer. He's got millions of followers, right? Because he's in the cult of Donald Trump. And this person at various times has greater reach, influence, and depth than the entire history of the New York Times. Yeah. That's what social I mean, media has that done. Pretty much, it, that like sums it up right there, more or less. It made, hey, you might recall back, you know, I don't know how old you are, but if you're above 40, you might recall way back when, if you wanted to put out crazy, you had to get a mimeograph machine, which is like a photocopier, but it was done by hand on a crank mm. over ink. And you had to hand crank out your little pamphlets. And then you could go to the airport, right, with the John Birch Society or the right. Nazis or whatever it is. And then, or Sung Young Moon, the Moonies. Yeah, and join then, a group of wackos in the corner, basically. Right. And pass then, out your so, flyers. But you had to confront human to human and pass it out one at a time. Mm -hmm. That was the extent, the limit of your influence was the number of mimeographs you had and the capacity to hand it out to people who didn't ball it up and throw it away. So yeah. now that same individual could literally impact billions of people with the equal amount of crazy. Yeah. And that's our biggest risk. And when you talk about the United States being at risk, my issue is way back in the old days before the government split into two and that we now have this crazy pro-Moscow cult um, in the House of Representatives and half of the senators are part of that pro-Moscow cult. Um, you know, the United States had a whole of government approach to communism. But the reason that we don't now is it's not communism. It's money. It's oligarchy. And Putin weaponized oligarchy, and he understood, you know, I knew something was going on when Russian oligarchs who were being charged with espionage and other issues in the United States were hiring the finest law firms in America. Russians yeah. hiring law firms. You know, <laughs> back in the Soviet era, that didn't happen. So it's just, it was just ideology versus ideology. So we are at an inflection point where we could lose everything, everything, because people are just effing stupid, period. Well, that, that perfectly dovetails into my second short point. Basically, it's education. I mean, my, my off-season job is I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a math tutor in public schools in Baltimore. And, um, and I got to tell you, I mean, like our education systems, I mean, if, if we that is first of all, that's the only true, true way out of this is just basically making us all better, like teaching us more in, in, in a better context. Because, like, you know, the content we're still learning is is antiquated. You know, nothing's really changed. I don't know. You know, I so I, you were asking my age. I'm almost 40. When I was going through public school uh, 20 some years ago. It was. It, it's the same format that it is now, and it's not getting any better. And that's right. the problem. Like, if we do not address education in this country, and that's a specific to the U.S., because I, you know, Europe does it a lot better. If we don't address this issue, we are done. I mean, and not now, maybe not in ten years, but it is going to end. Like this, all of this is going to end if, unless we do not fix how stupid we are in the United States. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I, I there is a lot of great people here, but like, if we don't get better. It's going to be bad for us. Anyways, I'm, I'm afraid to say it's going to it's going to require an apocalypse bigger 
than 9-11 because 9-11 did not unify us. 9-11 yeah. allowed people with malicious intent. Um, uh, I'll give you guys, I know we, we're, we're getting off topic a little bit, but I was asked by the man that actually created the shock and awe doctrine, Dr. Harlan, um, 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 what was Harlan's last name? It'll come to me. Uh, he was Colin Powell's professor at the Army War College. Um, he was a Fox News analyst, great, great American. He taught me how to wear a pink tie. And uh, this guy looked at me one day in the run up to the Iraq war and he says, you've done this mission because I worked the Iran Iraq mission for years. He says, you've 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 seen you've seen the evidence. What do you think? And I go, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see what we're talking about. I got two guys in an old ammo depot looking around for yellow striped chemicals from the Iran Iraq war and claiming that that means Iraq has chemical weapons. When they had chemical weapons, there was a lot of special handling that went on in the Iran-Iraq war. Nope. So people now don't care about what a continuation, a continuum of facts are. They don't. They are going on emotion. They are going on feeling. I'll bet you, you know what, you're a math tutor. I think you could be enormously, enormously successful online if you did a course called mathematical ballistics and artillery for rifles, mortars, and cannon in a civil war. Yeah, simple trick. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. You get you could charge a thousand dollars per seat in this class and have 50 seats in this online class and the roofs would throw money at you. Now that's terrifying, right? Mm -hmm. Um what was I, I believe there was a what was the the Civil War general who was the master of 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 artillery mathematics? Ah, his name will come back. I can't remember. But he wrote a whole treatise on this, and one time it went out on Twitter because it was old cannons, and somebody was making a joke like, "Well, you might have to reactivate old cannons uh, there." And boom, the book sold out like everywhere, eBay. <laughs> People are nuts, but you know, this is a component of it. All right, let's go on the next Thank question. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, okay, let's uh, welcome Yehuda back. Yehuda, you're back. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, uh, I, I had to drop off, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, I've been listening. So, Malcolm, what is the? Um, what do you think the ad the like secondary effect will be to Israel's Arab allies if we haven't discussed that yet? So, uh, how, how do you think the UAE and Saudi Arabia are looking at this? Are they quietly? You know, is, is this good for them? It bodes well for, for overall relations with Israel normalization after Hamas is destroyed? Or do you think uh, it's a non-issue? Yeah, well, I think I think it's a non-issue right now. Sorry, I'd take a little break there, Yehuda. I got rocket warnings. Uh, the Gaza Strip area, all the, the, the kibbutzim are getting it. They've got at least six have been hit, and Cedarot and Ashkelon. So, uh, so Hamas ain't taking this very well. Uh, you know, Twitter is Twitter thinks they want a grand victory. The Arab states are not. Look, I have been in high level diwans. I have been around these guys. I have prayed with them as a Muslim. I have been in the sat cross legged with them for hours and had food and listened to the lectures and then go into the back room and drink Johnny Walker Black. So they tend to be very realistic. They also understands that politics moves at a glacial pace, not at a rapid pace. So for the Saudis, 
The Saudis are completely, this is all about Iran to them. Iran getting atomic bomb, Iran threatening them, Iran collapsing Sunnah Islam and becoming the dominant force in the Muslim world. This is the way they think. So why do you, you, for those of you who think, why is Saudi Arabia putting so much emphasis on having rapprochement with Israel? Anybody got an idea? Just throw it out there, Yehuda, if you think you know. The Jews, Louise, I I don't know. Could it be anything to do with Iran, uh, Professor Nance? Well, it has to do with Iran, but also that the counterbalance would be that Israel has atomic bombs. Go figure. Allegedly, of course. Um, Well, listen, the Saudis see the writing on the wall, okay? So there's only only so many ways they can go here. And uh, Iran has made it clear what their intentions are. Saudis have to dance a a tight rope here, right? They have to walk a tight rope. Um, between right. for regional stability and security, uh, well, energy markets depend on it. Um, so, sidelining or or containing the Iranian Islamic regime threat is a big deal for everyone involved. Yeah, very true. But I just wanted to make that point that a, a counterbalance with Israel's armed forces, Israel's alleged atomic power, right, right. against an Iran that is that is ascendant that is trying to surround Israel and other countries uh, with the Islam, with the Shia crescent. For those of you who don't know it, there's a difference between Shia Muslims and Sunni Muslims. Most of the world, 85% are Sunni Muslims centered on Saudi Arabia, and 15% are Shia Muslims, um, which are mainly in Iran, Lebanon, uh, and Yemen, for the most part. And uh, some oh, of the Gulf states like Ukraine. Parts of Pakistan as well. Small parts, yeah, yeah, but such a minor, a minor part yeah. that Iran still threw ru- missiles into Pakistan. Oh yeah, so, care. so Iran is playing out. It's is trying to become the dominant power in the region by accumulating power, projecting power asymmetrically through the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Saudi Arabia knows that this poses a mortal threat to their regime, and also Iran when they need to. We'll play ball with enemies against the state who are Sunnah. So, you know, on occasion, Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, on occasion with ISIS. Um, Saudi Arabia now understands that Israel is the dominant military force. I don't care how many F-15s you give the Saudis, the Israeli Air Force can burn through them. OK, you just everybody knows it. And better to have them on side than off side. But now with Palestine, Saudi Arabia is still playing long ball. I don't think that this to them, this is a flare up. And yes, it was horrible for Israel. Uh, They may think that, you know, you know, Israel sees gets this as a bloody nose. Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states are mortally terrified of another Muslim Brotherhood infiltration like, you know, like Al Qaeda in Iraq. I'm sorry, not Iraq, Al Qaeda in Arabian Peninsula, which gave Saudi Arabia a six-year secret civil war where they were murdering thousands of each other, right? Saudi Arabia does not want that. United Arab Emirates is just terrified of all the influence coming from Palestinians. And if they could do what they did to the, the Kuwaitis did to the Palestinians, which is silently deport every damn one of them, they would. But then again, they wouldn't have any school teachers in their schools. Uh, and, you know, um, so they, you know, they've got this balancing act, but I think right now the Gulf states are going to view this. I mean, the, the ICJ was a victory for Israel. I'm seeing people go, oh, they made a ruling. There's the potential for genocide. No, they said, continue 
you you are allowed to continue your war, right? Be, just in, just make sure you adhering to the Geneva Convention, provide humanitarian aid. Hamas release the hostages. That's a victory for Israel. The Saudis are going to see it that way. You still there? Yeah, we're still good. Thank you very much for that, Malcolm. Um, how long do we have you for, by the way? Uh, you have me for about 20 more minutes. It's getting, it's getting dark here in Israel. I have a quick comment or question, please. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, we, we do like to raise hands here. Um, so if you see the little plus heart with a plus sign on, you can click that and raise your hand. But as, as you've alerted us anyway, uh, please do go ahead. Oh, I don't see what you're saying because I'm new to the, all this. But first, it's an honor, uh, Professor Nance. And oh, that, not getting a the, professor. Not a professor. You know, someone, someone called you that, but I don't care. You're it's a joke. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I am familiar with your work, but I'm I'm not as schooled as as everyone else on this uh, format is. But uh, getting one minute back to what we were talking about before, and then I'll ask my question about the current topic. And that is, I notice in my little world a little shift on the left side. I want to know if anyone, if Dr. Nance or I mean Mr. Nance, Malcolm Nance knows or, or uh, feels it. Does anyone feel this little shift on the left? People are angrier. They're speaking out more. They're standing up to the you know write a little bit more, which they should have done from the very beginning. I think that all this stuff just went like my friends and family would stay friends with the crazy people who were spewing all the, uh, you know, propaganda and all the crazy mess. And I would just fight back with them and I stopped getting invited. You know, I would try to tell. So, but anyway, I see people stepping up more. That's my first comment and I'll get off. But after the second sort of question with all your experience, knowledge, background, expertise, education, um, can you give us a little prediction as to what may happen in the Middle East? Because it sounds awful and terrifying. And yeah. how much, you know, how much can we all go through? There's so much going on everywhere. Poor Ukraine. I mean, I, I nobody hardly talks about them anymore. And, uh, you know, let alone what's going on here. And then we got, you know, the, the clown show going on day in and day out. The media is a joke, as everyone said. They're, they're just not even journalists. But anyway, I don't want to waste time. You go ahead. Yeah, that's you. You know, it's it's good to constantly overview how's it mm -hmm. going in the Middle East. Yeah, right? because mm -hmm. it's very synergistic. Um, you know, back in the oldie days, I used to have these guys who go, "Oh, you're, you know, you're a you're a Lebanese dialect Arabic linguist. You know, you couldn't possibly understand what's going on in Egypt." That's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I speak eight dialects. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. tell you, it's the same language. It's mm. just certain words and phrases. You can never, mm. you know, it, there is a time to be master of all trades and, you know, jack yeah. of all trades and master of none. Um, right. In the Middle East, that's just a truism. Uh -huh. All right. Anybody who is channeled, you know, we have some great guys out there, analysts like Charlie Lister and Ariel Zelen, these guys who are like oh, super stovepiped. Charlie Lister, Syria, the Syrian Civil War, uh, Al-Qaeda, elements in the syrian civil war mm. you know that's what mm -hmm. you're good at bro um so they often don't see the dynamics that are being traded further down the line between the yemenis the the omanis the qataris um you know before i went to ukraine i had just returned from living 10 years in the united arab emirates mm. uh you know working for the government of the emirates and 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 carrying out operate um, you know, activities and operations in Iraq and Libya and Syria. And, you know, you have to have a very holistic perspective. Start where we are. 
there is a war between Israel and Hamas, right? Right. That's the active war that's going on. Um, then shift south. There is this harassment that's going on from Yemen against international shipping. That Israel has nothing to do with it. This started with those Yemeni Houthi uh, terrorists. They're terrorists, by the way, of a terrorist group called Ansar Allah. Mm -hmm. And um, they call them Houthis because that was the name of the brothers who formed from the tribe, who formed uh, this this rebel group that broke off, started a six year war with Saudi Arabia and now are Iranian backed and are firing ballistic missiles in there because they're Shia Muslims. Um, that that is independent now of Israel, mm -hmm. even though the Houthis are shooting at Israel, we're shooting down drones and missiles. Oh. The Israelis are also. But it's really a war against commerce and the United States because their motto is God is greatest, death to Israel, death to America, death to Jews. Um, you know, we will, you know, the Yemenis will be victorious. We will be, no, Islam will be victorious. That's their motto, which means yeah. it's their operating parameters. They only operate within those parameters, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. You know, and then you have Iran as the major player in the in the Arabian Gulf or the Persian Gulf, whichever one you want to call it, now projecting out into the Northern Arabian Sea uh, with their navy, which are supporting the Houthis in Yemen. Um, and then north of Israel is Hezbollah in Lebanon. And, you know, ignore all the Iraqi players and all the rest, except for their bombarding U.S. bases around there in support of Iran. That's the activity where we are right now is 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 manageable i mean i'm sitting in tel aviv right now you cannot tell there is a war here you can't i mean israel has has always been sort of like this you know actually when i was here in the past i really feel i saw more soldiers with weapons than i see now and it's really because most people are not taking buses the way they used to so i'm it's it's a false dichotomy but they are at war here War, full scale, 24 7, you know, for the last 112 or so days, full scale war in Gaza. If, if Iran wants to, if, if Israel's threats against the Hezbollah terrorists, that they don't move back 10 kilometers to the Latani River just north of the Israeli border and stop rocketing into Israel with these anti-tank rockets and missiles, which are hitting all over the line of confrontation every day up here. That's what they call that border up there. Israel's going to take their army, invade, and push them back. Problem with that is they could put a thousand long-range missiles into this city I'm sitting in right now. Yeah. Right, which would be unhappy for everyone. The United States will have to intervene on their behalf because we promised that we weren't going to allow right. civilians to be hit with all these rockets. But do we have the influence we used to have? We got the bombs that we have. It's not about influence anymore. You know, a lot of people seem to think that cold, that people follow other nations or act in or around other nations on the basis of the way it was in the Cold War. Oh, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Mm, you know, American influence has waned because even though we're a global economic power, the president of the United States does not exercise that power personally. Mm. It's corporate. Yeah. And what I said earlier about the FSB and Russian intelligence, they're all part of a Russian oligarchy, which means the old KGB had, you know, 
500, you know, rubles and a, and a bottle of vodka, the new K, the new FSB has $10 billion and can buy people, things, resources, advertising on buses in Mexico and all over India and spread Russian influence from a central power. We don't have that anymore. All we can have so is sanctions and banks. If Putin is getting weaker, that doesn't mean anything then. Well, he's only weaker in the sense that he could wake up with a bullet in his head, right? I mean, that's an yeah. internal matter. We saw that with uh, when we were having our analysis last year with um, with Prigozhin. When I had written yeah. an op-ed called yeah. How Putin Will Die. It's on my substack yeah. if you want to go back and read it. Yeah, and, and it was really about how he could wake up and somebody gets the right yeah. number of people on his side. And they could you know, push a pencil through his eye, which is why he doesn't stand near anybody or anyone. Uh, and Prigozhin was his tightest of allies. Yeah. Tightest. And he woke up dead in the middle of the air. So, you know, um, you know, but we are not empowered as dictators, although that can right. happen in the next 10 months, right? <laughs> no, no, no. See, this is what I'm talking about. I think I feel a shift. I do. Oh, uh, can I answer your question about the shift to the left? Yes, go ahead. What you're seeing in this shift to the left, the pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas, these were the Antifa people who happened to be on the right side of history at that time with George Floyd. They have now turned malicious. The social justice warriors, Antifa, Black Lives Matter chapters who have nothing to do with the philosophy of Black Lives Matter. Right. Mm -hmm. These are people who have monetized it, turned it into day jobs. Right. Like yeah, I understand that point. No, my point was, I feel that the left getting more in in the race. They they weren't even in the race before. Oh. They were just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the, the, I I mean think... when I say left, I don't mean. Uh, I mean, I guess I should say common sense Democrats, like the ones yeah. that are going to vote for Biden. You know what I mean? Like right. they were just the silent majority. That's well, I think it helped that Joe Biden. <laughs> finally spoke on a subject right. that I wrote a right. book about in 2018, which was the plot to destroy democracy and how right. he's he's defending it now. It's like, whoa, yeah. welcome to the, to, the, to, the, to the war. And that's yeah, exactly. So a war for the control of global democracy. And as one of the previous commenters said, he said he was talking about his book club, but this book about Zelensky and how that mm -hmm. could be create, you know, inspirational leaders to be more Zelensky. Yeah. That's yeah. like saying you want more Melania, you want more Michelle Obamas and less Melania Trumps. No, they're always going to take women who are naked showing their titties as first lady <laughs> over a woman who educates Stop. children and feeds them. No, well, that's a fact. Yeah, but wait a minute. Aren't the women? Aren't the women finally speaking out now because of the abortion issue? Aren't we? Aren't they finally ha having enough and saying, you know, I see women now. You know, it's a thing. I hope it. But, I hope it's enough because, don't forget that fifty three percent of Republican of of fifty three percent of white women voted for Donald Trump. Then, that was then. Uh, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's going to be a radical demographic shift on that point. But your points Certainly. are well taken. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, my bad Malcolm. Hey. I'm having comms issues, questions. by the way. But uh, I'm, I'll just listen, uh, Tim, and I'll jump in if I'm able to. Just uh, we've got terrible storms and uh, bad connections. Go ahead, Tim. Ah, no worries. I hope you can. Uh, hope you can have a chat, Yehuda. Um, okay, let's go to James Healy, please, James. 
Hey, yes, uh, Malcolm, you mentioned earlier uh, the oligarchs, and um, I think that we we see that in Russia definitely, and the global um, oligarchy, I guess, is there as well. And um, the threat, I think, is that when there's that much inequality of wealth, that one of the things that happens is um, certainly that it is harder for those without all that wealth to fund campaigns. Now, they can do what we do and become active on social media, but I can't buy a block of time on TV and run an ad, you know what I mean? So it, it just seems to me that there's a lot of things that um, really should uh, be bridled. One of them is industries. We and we do have corporate laws. Uh, the core co- corporate law that, you know, sets them up is there, but then there's all these additionals that we just pile on them and then they say, oh, they were overregulated and then they get worse and they do bad things. So there's a balance there. And uh, I wondered if you um, can define that balance. How, how is it that we can have uh, let people who come up with brilliant ideas and do good things, um, you know, get ahead, but people who just, you know, um, I don't know, uh, do unfair things. I think one of them, and I'll just start off what I mean by this. One of them is, uh, is a raise in the minimum wage, but maybe that doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, you could, you could bring that up and, and that would be a, a good example. I'm going to give you an example right here. That's more tangible. Twitter now known as X. Um, the owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, who bought this platform for $44 billion and has run it down to its present price value of about $18 billion and made in descending, um, opened up all the floodgates of the global anti-Semitism movement. Let's just be honest. Elon Musk did this personally. He bought on every neo-Nazi that was, that was kicked off. He bought on every negative voice that was on Twitter in this, for the purpose of free speech, right? And up to that point, he was talking about global replacement theory. That was about Jews replacing decent people or or immigrants replacing people. That's a horrible sentiment. And it wasn't until he got a shot in the shareholders when he insulted Jews that he made a personal change and suddenly was invited to come to Israel, went to Israel, went to the massacre sites, now went with Ben the guy who I called Angry Chipmunk Shapiro. You guys know I got a history with him. I was on Bill Morrow with him. Um, and goes to Auschwitz, and now he is a convert to the point where he's using phrases like Jew-ish, the way George uh, Santos did. Um, that kind of whip-snapping of philosophy and ideology has not changed the fact that pro-Israel or even neutral voices are now being outweighed by pro-Palestinian 100 to 1 on Twitter. And they allow a lot of horrible hatred and anti-Semitism on Twitter for a guy who's supposedly seen the, seen the light. Then again, he also hates unions, so he, <laughs> you know, I mean, this sort of corporate non-citizenship I call it in in my book, you got to get this book plot to destroy democracy. I'm sure it's been out of print. I'm sure copies are going to be in the couple of hundred dollars here soon because everything I predicted in that book has happened. Everything. Um, I call it the global garky. 
the global oligarchy. And there is a global oligarchy. It's not a joke. It's tangible. You can see these people. These are people to whom passports have no meaning. And I always mention this place uh, in, you know, for those of you who think you know where the rich and famous hang out, tell me where Puerto Banus is, right? Puerto Banus is a tiny little port in southern Spain, south of Marbella, where if you don't have a $10 million mega yacht to start, don't even bother trying to come into that port. You know, and I remember that port had only two or three mega yachts in it. Now there's, a, you know, like a hundred at any given time. The global oligarchy does exist out there. There is money above government. They don't control government, but they do. Government controls them in Russia, right? They are controlled. They can do by politicians, influence politicians, the Koch brothers in the United States and others um, who want policy. That exists. Money at that level just has that impact. What we're seeing on Twitter, now X, is because someone just got up money. And I really am firmly believe that Twitter was purchased to stop all criticism of the Saudi government. Which is why they put up the overwhelming large amount, $22 billion out of $44 billion, when he didn't even want to buy it anymore. Um, you know, you can't stop people talking about you if you own the right platforms or if you own the right platforms, you can make, you know, uh, a small nation of, you know, 10 million people. That's 20% Arab um, seem like the greatest devil on the planet simply because you have the ability to propagate the voices of everyone who wants to hate them. And all you got to do is say free speech. So yeah, you know, the, the, the global oligarchy is real. And um, oligarchy in general is bad because they don't like government. Benito Mussolini des described the definition of fascism as the, the a, what did he call it? Uh, a right-wing dictatorship backed by corporations. Yes, right. you have to remember what he meant by corporations in that context, right? Oh, hit me with it. What did he mean? One of the features of fascism is corporatism. And corporatism, it's, yes. Yeah, it means what what is meant by corporations in the fascist context is organizations around a particular trade. Yes. Right. So, not corporations in the in the sense of private business, and I think that's where the two issue the, the two things get rhetorically confused. Eh, I think if that's the case, then the Germans must have sharpened that stick to the point where you know. Uh, you know, corporations and oligarchy supporting the fascist dictator uh, were were essential. Putin is a master of that now. You can't breathe. You can't make a dollar in Russia unless he says so. So, okay, I'll take one more question and then I will come back later this week to talk about land warfare in Gaza. Okay, James Healy, hit it. Wow, I had this comment and then I will ask a question. Okay. The comment was just um, that uh, Wikipedia has a de yet a different um, definition and uh, a good discussion of what oligarchy is. That's the comment. Um, the question is, is um, you, you mentioned your, um, your upcoming work in the area uh, investigating things. And um, mm -hmm. have you a projected uh, preliminary report date 
No, and that it's really dependent on on one thing, uh, which is whether I'm going to be allowed to embed with the Israeli army in Gaza. So that's for I have two components. I'm doing a counterterrorism study of how Hamas attacked on 10-7. Uh, I've got uh, intelligence briefings that I'm gaining on that. I'm going through, uh, be given a lot of access to materials, maps, operations plans. You know, I'm an Arabic-speaking intelligence guy, so I told him, I need to physically handle this stuff or no one will believe me, right? And we will show you how what Hamas did, what their plans were. I've seen some of their op orders, and it was, op order number one was kill Jews, right? I mean, you know, you've had the Hamas come out this week and say, oh, we never intended that. Really? Because every one of the platoon leaders' op orders that I have seen, and there's more than one, off their dead bodies, covered in blood, said one killed Jews. So, it's gonna, you know, I'm studying how they flowed out, why, when they went to the kibbutzim, uh, who engaged the army, how they went out, established checkpoints, and executed their strategic plan, which was fight to the death or withdraw with hostages back to Gaza so that we could have a Stalingrad in Gaza. That was their strategy. So um, that will probably take a month or more after I get back, which means March, maybe March, April. Um, and my, I want to do a land warfare study about uh, combat operations in Gaza and how they fight, how Hamas fights and how Israel, uh, you know, the intensity of combat and some simple questions like, are you adhering to the Geneva Convention? Um, I really get a lot of soldiers insulted when I ask that question because they go, yes, we don't have time for this bullshit. Uh, no one's dropping, you know, no one's looking at hospitals and going, let's bombard that because it's a hospital and it'll be fun. No one's doing that. They're just as professional as our forces um, and they've got a mission to complete. Uh, so that will be a little more involved. I may even have to come back to Israel uh, to do that, it just depends. You know, right now I'm working my way up the chain of command. I got a lot of people that want, are supporting me, but, you know, it is not the healthiest place on the planet. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. All right, guys. I don't want to abuse your time, Malcolm, so we'll let you scoot off. Thank you so much for coming up and talking with us. It's been absolutely fascinating. It was great. Well, uh, talk amongst yourselves. I'll be listening. <laughs> fantastic. Stay safe, my friend. All right. Cheers.